Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. As reliable as Brendan Gallagher scars blood and all, this is the return of Puck and Roll. Welcome to Season 2. And a big hello, everyone. Patrick Lorty here behind the mic once again, welcoming you to episode one of the second season of the Puck and Roll podcast. I'm very, very excited to be here. However, our recording session is going a little bit sideways because this is the part where I'm supposed to be introducing you to my co-host, Sebastian High. Uh, however, you can make it right now. So this is going to be all me right now with a wonderful panel, however. So, without further ado, let's take a look at the starting lineup for tonight's episode. So coming up first, let me introduce you to our wonderful historian who is choking on his drink. Probably has whatever he is, he's, he's drinking on his mustache. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Joshua Rosa is with us tonight. How's it going, Joshy? Oh, it was going great until that last tip of uh, beer. Yeah, that was unfortunate. <laughs> For once that I actually introduced you first, you know, and he's just like, Bleh. I just wasn't ready. You caught me off guard and now there's beer all over. It was just like, you know, going all Stone Cold Steve Austin in the corner over there. And I'm just like, all right, give me a hell yeah, man. How was your summer, brother? I was hot. Uh, Ontario has been just stupid hot, stupid dry, stupid everything. It's been stupid everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I mean, hockey season's coming up, so that's a that's an upturn. We get to talk about hockey, and yeah, you're gonna be uh, supplying us with more historical facts throughout the season, my friend. I think so. I think I can fit it in there. Yeah. <laughs> Looking Just forward to it. me. Uh, awesome, man. Very glad to have you uh, back on board again this season, man. And since I ate all that food. I drank a beer. I drank another beer. Three beers. 
Four beers. Oh no. Five beers. Oh no. Six beers. Seven beers. Eight beers. Nine beers. And a bloody May. And we shall also reintroduce Scott Cowan, our AHL and ECHL expert. How's it going, Scott? Very well, Patrick. Uh, good to see all you fellows again. Uh, great to have you back, buddy. I'm really, really happy to have to have you again. And I'm sure you're going to have uh, a lot more obscurities to bring to us as you did last season, are you? <laughs> Absolutely, Patrick. You know I always provide. <laughs> For those who who are just joining us as new listeners, season one hosted a lot of episodes where Scott would bring out like the most obscure player ever, like the 976 pick of the 2000 draft or something that would get signed with whomever in the ACHL and everything. It's always amazing digging really that deep in history. So once again, Scott, I'm really glad to have you back on the show. Of course, Patrick. And we have a newbie as well. Now, officially the youngest of the group. I'm sorry, I just had to mention because it just makes me feel a little bit younger. Uh, I am very glad to uh, introduce to you. He is a scout for Dauber Prospects. Aaron Itovich joins us, joins us on the show. Welcome, sir. I'm happy to be here. You got me for three episodes in season one. You got me forever now. Oh, baby. We have to sign him a lifetime contract. Um, ironclad, everything. No trade clause. Pietro deal. Pietro deal. I am not buying that up for the next 25 years now. But yeah. So what exactly are you going to be bringing, uh, bringing to the show, man? Uh, well, I am going to be bringing you some great content on social media. Hopefully, once the uh, hockey season starts, it's going to be a little bit more to post about. <laughs> and uh, I'm here for prospect talk. I'm here for anything hockey talk and I'm just here to have a good time so yeah it's gonna be awesome man thank you so much for being here with us So how about we finally get into it? We've been, oh my goodness, we've been jumping in our seats. We've been talking about it. We've been chatting and texting. And now it's time to talk about hockey. So, oh man, who gets to go first? I have to like look at our panel and everyone's looking at me with intense eyes and everything, but I guess it's going to be a battle because man, we need to talk about the Canadians. They've been a big off season and everything. How about we just go with the more, most recent news and you know what? We'll let you know, the new guy start. We'll let Aaron start first. Aaron, I'd like to know your thoughts on Nick Suzuki becoming the new captain of the Montreal Canadiens. Your thoughts. I thought you were going to ask me about the Jersey patch, but Nick Suzuki becoming captain he was the right choice. Like, I love Brendan Gallagher. I tolerate Joel Edmondson. But Suzuki's locked up for the next eight years. And with captains like Brady Kachuk, uh, Nico Hishier, Bo Horvat, Connor McDavid, I'm not going to put Suzuki on McDavid's level. It's becoming a lot more normal to have a 22, 23-year-old captain coming in. Yeah. And I don't think any player exemplifies what a Canadian's captain is more than Nick Suzuki right now. 
I think at the same time, like you're right, there is a trend with the younger players really coming in, taking a bigger leadership role. I guess Gabriel Landeskog could be one, you know, as a great example in Colorado, you know, obviously Crosby, McDavid and everything, but that those guys are just in another level of their own. But at the same time, uh, Scott, I'd like to know your opinion on the fact that Brendan Gallagher was passed over once again. This is not the first time that he had the opportunity of, of donning the seat. You know, he was passed over when Shea Weber um, was was named. Um, do you think maybe it has anything to do with the fact that his reputation with the referees is absolutely garbage? Or is it really just, you know what, this, is, this signifies the youth movement that the Canadians are heading towards? I think it just personally, Pat, I think it's a mix of both, to be honest. And I think the thing that was... Uh, frustrating when Gallagher wasn't named captain when Weber was named captain was that not naming Weber captain would have been seen as kind of a question in of itself Weber was the de facto captain in Nashville so he kind of had to be the captain in Montreal Weber fans ultimately agreed with it or not and I do think that ultimately it is a, a thing with the youth but for me personally I feel like the main reason Gallagher or the reason I wouldn't have named Gallagher captain is just because Brendan Gallagher isn't the player he once was and mm-hmm. to give a guy like that a ca- uh, the captaincy who's not really an offensive player anymore I don't know if he ever really can be an offensive player anymore it'd be akin to when the Florida Panthers named Derek McKenzie their captain or when the New or when the New Jersey Devils named Andy Green their captain they're interesting players and they're really good locker room presences but on a Canadians team that's really pushing for youth and really trying to move away from the past I think Nick Suzuki is the absolutely perfect choice he was the de facto leader for the Habs last year and he was their most consistent reliable player and he is a future star and he deserves the captaincy Josh what about you do you like what kind of captain do you think that we need right now? Because, and the reason I'm asking this is because Shea Weber, you know, uh, is an, was an extremely respected player, not only on the ice, but off the ice as well. However, he didn't have that same public presence as, of course, you know, what, what we're used to in Montreal, like a Guy Carboneau, Vincent Alvarez, or Jean Bellevue, or whatever, right? So do you think that, you know, Suzuki needs to be a little bit more available to the fans and the media or you know like do we need to invent him in a certain way or like what what, what do you think so uh, I, I, I guess in layman's in layman's terms it's like what what does he need to be in order to be an effective captain yeah i think what it comes down to is that he's a young guy on a young team that's projecting upwards i think we just have to have him grow into the position as the team grows because I don't care what Joel Edmondson says, Montreal's not being anything near competitive this year. He can well, he's he's being polite, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't think there really needs to be any big pressure on Suzuki to do anything special mm-hmm. in this first captain year, or at least there shouldn't be because this team isn't really going to be special because they're not good enough right now, but mm-hmm. it's all about growing with the team. Cause I think if you picked like a Joel Edmondson or a Brendan Gallagher to be captain, they're just a holding pattern until we know that Suzuki's going to be captain. So even then it's kind of a bit awkward. And I like that we get to see him grow into the role as the team grows around him. And we'll just, everything will hit its peak perfectly and I think we just got to give it time and back off them and just let them do his thing 
I think everyone really nailed it on the head, like in, in every way, you know, Gallagher. Yeah. There's that reputation. There's the fact that he's not you know, the same player that he used to be. Joel Edmondson, you know, he's a great guy and everything, but he also doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have as much tenure for a veteran in my, in my opinion as well. I mean, um, I think it would almost have, have been like a de facto type situation because I don't see him being a captain on any other team, unless, you know, he was in Arizona or something like that. Um, and there is also the there's also the important fact that you know we, we cannot ignore about Nick Suzuki is that he spent the entire summer in Montreal, literally just going from one charity event to another. Ironically, with Jonathan Drouin, I guess being kind of being like you know the French side of you know the uh, public uh, presence and everything. So I completely agree with all three of you. I think you know like it's it's a great pick. It's you know the logical pick at the same time, and it signifies clearly that hey, we're in a rebuild. This is the direction we're going, and it's sink or swim. You know, kind of like when Vancouver did the same thing with Bo Horvat. You know, they were in a, in a very similar situation that the Canadians are in right now. And look at him today. You know, right now he's he's on cusp of, of signing a mega, a mega deal unless he becomes an unrestricted free agent. But I don't think that's going to happen. So, so moving on to maybe another uh, couple of like, you know, different topics about the Canadians from this offseason. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of movement. Uh, you know, speaking of captain, well, Shea Weber is gone. And we were talking off air earlier about how we keep forgetting that uh, Evgeny Dadunov is part of the team right now. Um, you know, managed to shed his uh, his contract in order to make space for the LTIR so, you know, we could fit Kerry Price. Paul Barron's is not most likely not going to start the season as well. Sean Monaghan is, is, is a question mark, but I'll point all indications point towards the fact that he will start the season with Montreal but the big trade obviously was the one when that sent Jeff Petrie and Ryan Peeling to Pittsburgh uh getting Michael Matheson and Aaron I mean I know you're you're a pretty big fan of Michael Matheson uh to begin with so how do you think he's going to fit in with this team uh and do you think he's going to continue on that same success that he did in Pittsburgh because it was a career year for him last season I for me, my Mike Matheson fanship kind of came out of nowhere because I watched him in Florida a little bit and he was very, very bad. And then I watched about three games of his in Pittsburgh during the playoffs. And I'm like, wait, this guy is actually pretty good. Like he can, he's legit. Yeah. <laughs> he, he can carry a defensive pairing. He can skate. His transition game is good. And then he comes to Montreal. And my original stance on the trade was, I think we just had to pay to move Petrie because I had almost forgotten already how good Matheson was in playoffs and how good Matheson was in the season. Mm-hmm. And then kind of it, Sebastian was a big part in this. He made about a 18 tweet long video column about something like how that. good Mike Matheson actually is. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I really like this guy and he's going to get so much opportunity here. He's going to be 25 minutes a night, first pairing, first power play. And I have really high hopes for him. Uh, Scott, we're actually we're actually gonna gonna piggyback on that because I, that was actually my question to you. Jeff Petrie, you know, for all his faults in the in the last season, uh, is still a minutes eater, and he will be a minutes eater playing behind Christopher Latin in, in Pittsburgh, which is crazy when you think about it. Do you think Matheson will have the same impact that Petrie had on the blue line, or are we talking about a completely different horse? 
I'm going to make a very bold statement here, Patrick. I think Mike Matheson oh, will be hot to take, the hot, hot take, hot take, hot take, hot take. I think Mike Matheson will be to the Canadiens' defense what Max Domi was to their offense in 2018-19. Not in the same impact, not in the fact that Max Domi put up an insane 72 points that he still hasn't lived up to and most likely never will ever again, but in the fact that Matheson has a chance to be the Canadiens' standout, like, wow, where has this guy been all this time defender? The thing about Matheson that's been frustrating his entire career is that he has these peaks and valleys he plays super well gets that massive contract his play immediately goes down people start dogging him again has a good season in pittsburgh plays well in the playoffs his play goes back up so he's such a back and forth player that when the Habs dealt such a surefire player as petrie a guy was given his all to the team who for a brief period of montreal was one of the better defensemen in the nhl and a norris candidate at one point during the 2021 season in exchange for this guy who's kind of an unproven player but in my personal opinion i think matheson has the absolute potential to be a very very interesting player for the canadians and his contract is while long in a good term he's locked up for a considerable time and if he plays really well it's only even better that way that team friendly contract it definitely helps um and the fact that you know he's still he's still young actually allows him to grow in an, in a different dimension especially under Martin Saint-Louis um and that running gun system that he seems to love to to use at the same time which um Josh I know you're you know you're a great analyst of the game and whatnot from what you've seen if anything <laughs> but I'm, i know you've been studying matheson a little bit I, like i'm sure of it but i mean are we sacrificing a little too much in terms of defensive responsibilities with someone like matheson because you know like he's he's a rushing the defenseman to begin with right um not in the same way as petrie but you know petrie was still pretty decent defensively. I kind of feel that Matheson might be a little bit of a downgrade in terms of defensive responsibilities, but do you think maybe the fact that we have so many of those, you know, stay-at-home defensemen and guys like Edmondson, um, you know, Barron, uh, Harris, and whatnot, even Savard for that matter, do you think that will complement him well? Or there's going to be, you know, a serious period of, of, adju- uh, of adaptation and adjustment first? Yeah, there's no question that he's a complete downgrade defensively compared to Petrie. Like, I'm quite high on Petrie, even on his defensive side, which is not the star aspect of his game. But I don't think that it really matters at this point, especially Mm -hmm. looking at what Montreal is looking to have. Like, because we've looked at Montreal's defense for the past few years as being big tough guys who can hit a lot and then maybe there's one guy on the third pairing that can actually play with the puck on a stick and we saw that it could work in uh the playoffs last year with the four horsemen Mm. there but at the same time Montreal beat Toronto without getting a point from their defenders (laughs) series that's definitely going to change the Matheson and like at this point, you're just trying to have fun and play good, fun hockey, get the kids going, get interest, keep spirits up, even though everyone's losing. And I think Matheson probably does that a bit more than Petrie, especially at this point in his career. Petrie's definitely looking at something else in this uh, era of his career rather than Matheson. I think that opens up the door perfectly to talk about maybe the, the coaches for a couple of minutes. Um, now that Luke Richardson is gone, 
uh, and uh, took over the helm of the Chicago Blackhawks. Poor guy. Um, <laughs> you know, there's no denying the impact that he's had on the Canadians because, I mean, whether you like it or not, he was also a big part of the reason why the Canadians made it to the Stanley Cup Finals two seasons ago. Now, Martin St. Louis is going to have an enormous amount of pressure on his shoulders for the only reason that he's going to have to show consistency and continuity, especially is the word I was looking for, for last season. Because he came in, he introduced his style. The entire team bought this style, right, of play, you know, which is that high energy, fast skating, and really letting the players be as creative as they want. Now is not the time to get into training camp and being like, oh, yeah, all of a sudden we're playing like, you know, a five-man trap system because, you know, we lost half our team or whatever. So do you guys uh, agree that, you know, St. Louis is going to have to continue in that same effect? And at the same time, what are your expectations of him heading into, you know, what is an often cursed sophomore season for not only for players but for coaches as well because make no mistake he's going to be making a million mistakes this year because he's going to have 82 games under his belt for the first time and how do you think the the coaching staff is going to uh to adapt to all this uh if i can add one thing you mentioned uh luke richardson and we we mentioned max domi before it's looking like Max Domi's slotting in at that first line center spot. So maybe Luke Richardson will turn him back into a 72 point guy. Again, another player I completely, completely forgot signed with the team, Max Domi. <laughs> and uh, Andreas Athanasiu, who I'm a big fan of. So Chicago's definitely going to yeah. be uh, interesting. That, that Blackhawks offense looking tough. Oh, yeah. Mm. So on Marty St. Louis, I think that there's a lot less pressure than it seems just because I don't think there's that much of an expectation for this team to do well. There is an expectation for individual players to do well, but that's not all on Marty. That's no Cole Caulfield. By the way, I think Mike Matheson is going to be an awesome player for Cole Caulfield. Somebody who can actually pass him the puck consistently with the good efforts. But uh, I think that he's going to have to just learn the 82 game season and how it takes its toll on the players because the players weren't working that hard on, under Dominic Ducharme. He got a fresh team at game 48. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. So I think it's just, it's just going to be a really interesting thing, but I think he's going to, I think he's going to do pretty well. The thing I'm excited for is just to see those, uh, hopefully see those OT heroics come back. I mean, Oh, man, yeah. in a game against the Flyers and they score a goal shorthanded to tie it with a minute 30 left and then Cole Caulfield scores the winner in overtime. Like, that's the stuff of a storybook. And that was what Marte Sinoli brought to this team. And after what Dominic Ducharme brought to the team, I mean, anything was better than that. So I'm hopeful that Sinoli can really inject some youth and some life into this team because if you're talking about a guy like Cole Caulfield, Sinoli has seen everything an NHL player could have seen. Undrafted, had to work his way for the minors, had to work mm-hmm. his role into the NHL, became a star player, became one of the best in the league. So he's seen all facets of the NHL. So if you're looking for for a guy who you can relate to no matter what player you are, that's Marte San Luis. It's going to be hard not to, not, for, not to get motivated after the speech he gave at the draft at the same time. I mean, geez, you know, it, it, made, it made me want to get back into, into the game as well. So, <laughs> uh, Josh, I, I know you're you a big fan of Marty, of Marty St. Louis. You've been raving about him, you know, like all through the last half of the season and everything. But let me ask you um, directly, 
how what you think is going to be key you know coming into into this season like what like especially now it's like because it's not only him that's you know facing an 82 game season for the first time it's going to be Kent Hughes as well you know who's you know has going to have to play his cards properly what do you think is going to be key for you know in order to keep the players motivated because the honeymoon is over Let's make no mistake, especially now that we passed through the summer and everything. So how is he going to be able to keep the troops motivated, especially considering that we know we're in for a losing season? For me, the biggest question and the hardest decisions to make is going to be who's going to make the team out of camp and who's going to stay with the team for the whole season and who is going to have to be sent down to get more seasoning in the AHL or wherever else they would be sent down to. Because Montreal has a number one draft pick, Kirai Sadkowski, who it's still up in the air how well he's going to do in this first year in the NHL. And I think they have to be really careful on how they're going to use him. Like there's been posts online where it's like, let's put Suzuki, Sadkowski, and Caulfield online. And it's, that's... To me, not a great, not a good idea to mm. put four so young raw guys together. You're just asking for ish problems and mental things if things don't work out right. I think that's going to be the biggest question. Like, if Gooley struggles out the gate, are do you keep him up there? Are you going to try and get him to go work through his issues, or are you going to send him down to get more seasoning? Because mm. with the old regime Bergevin, I don't think there's any question that Slikowski would be playing the whole season no matter how well or poorly he did because he's the number one half pick and has to be doing well but with Hughes I have more hope that if there's clearly signs that he can't handle it that he's going to be sent down to get more conditioning it's impossible to tell before the season but I that's the biggest question mark with St. Louis and uh, Kent Hughes this year is who do you keep who is struggling and can work through it and who's struggling and just needs more time in the minors with all these young guys. Yeah, you make a good point because last season, uh, whether it was um, younger players or even veterans, you definitely saw who wanted to be there who did not want to be there, of course. And at the same time, we saw literally almost every single player get better. With the exception of, ironically, Ryan Paling, who's now gone, um, and Yoel Armia, who struggled all the way up to, uh, up to the last game. Although he had a great, um, you know, little international fling right, right after his kid was born at the same time. So, you know, I'm hoping it's going to be kind of a redemption season for him. But everyone kind of elevated their game, you know, just because the motivation was there, especially. But at the same time, and Josh makes an excellent point, you can't just kind of like put the, put the photos of every player on a board and throw darts and start, you know, choosing your lines that way at the same time. Because whether, um, whether, whether you want it or not, Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki are meant to be together. You know, you can't separate them. You can't hope for magic with somebody else. I mean, it's just, it's just they complement each other so perfectly, almost to a Lemieux and Jagger, you know, degree and everything. They're just meant to, to play together. But now, 
the question is, who do you put with him now? Like, how do you, um, and Aaron keeps shaking his head because I'm, I'm guessing, yeah. like, like I, you know what? Just go ahead. Go ahead. I, I am just like, come on, you kid. <laughs> I do not think Suzuki and Caulfield are meant to be together. I think that they had a lot. I don't think that Suzuki's a good player to pass Caulfield, at, to pass the Caulfield and turn him into a 50 goal scorer. I think that Kirby Doc is the perfect center for Cole Caulfield. Oh, I have to. I can. I, if I may interject. Okay. Okay. I just because there's been like this whole season with the Canadians youth movement. There's been one team on my mind. If I'm thinking about how the season for the Canes will go, and again, we're somehow bringing Max Domi back into this conversation. But oh my god, what's your obsession in, with Domi tonight? <laughs> not even Sharon, to be honest. But in Max Domi's rookie season with the Arizona, with the uh, Arizona, or what used to be the Phoenix Coyotes, Phoenix ran that youth system perfectly that season. They had Max Domi and Anthony Duclair as the first line, and they weren't a good team but they were a fun to watch team and that's what I think the Canadians will be this year they won't be good they won't have a winning record but they'll be so much fun to watch that we won't even really care at that point that the youth will bring in so much life and energy and if I'm the Canes to go against what you said Aaron I'd still keep Suzuki Suzuki and Caulfield together and bring Doc in slowly as a member of the Canadians rather than destroying him with the big prospect on the team this year I absolutely agree this year Suzuki and Caulfield just stay together but long term if I Doc breaks turn, out, I absolutely agree with you because Kirby Doc has the potential to be a very, very, very talented passer. player. And also, the thing is, people forget Kirby Doc was a third overall pick for a reason. Even yeah. though he went to a poor organization, he's still a third overall pick. Absolutely. I think that you turn Suzuki's line into a shutdown line and you turn Caulfield's line into an absolute, uh, like, offensively dynamic line. This particular season, I think that they're going to get crushed defensively no matter what. Hmm. So my pick... Jonathan Drouin on their way. That's the, that's the one issue that uh, Caulfield had last year with Ducharme was that Ducharme's system, I'm going to do that again, system, defensive yeah, system. Yeah, we, we, we were saying that a lot last year, right? Yeah. System. The and defensive coach. system <laughs> absolutely suffocated Caulfield offensively. Like, I had one goal and seven assists over the first 30 games of the season. So, <laughs> if I'm saying, Louis, I'm just putting Caulfield falling on offense because when the kid can score and when the kid's hot, he's as hot as they can be in the NHL. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Hot take. How many, goal, how many goals is uh, Caulfield scoring the, this year? 33. Oh, I will go with you there, Aaron. I will also say 33. Oh, Josh. Yeah, it was even like 35, maybe even 40 at the stars. Oh, 40 goals. Damn. You know, okay. Okay. Well, I was, okay. I was thinking 30 as well. You know, you never know. Um, I do one last quick thing before we move on. Um, Aaron, Jonathan, Jonathan Drouin. Yeah, you you are ready to throw him right back in the wolves after everything am, that he's been through, after all the, the the physical ailments, you know, and all the 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 psychodrama and whatnot. You're you're putting him on the first line, twenty five minutes a night all over again. So I am not Sebastian High, and when I post a ridiculously <laughs> long Twitter thread about what I think the lineup should look like, it gets like seven likes. <laughs> Maybe a retweet here and there, but I have made about five of these posts and every single time I put Drew on that wing because it's not just because of Drew. I think that there's other lines that are just kind of obvious. I think that Dadanov and Hoffman have to play together because they were magic in Florida. Oof, okay. Last time either of them was truly good and Dadanov was okay last year, hmm. but last time either of them were really a good player was when they were playing together. Who's, so their I throw, Who's their pivot? Are you throwing Dvorak with them? 
I'm throwing the Vorak with them, yeah. Then okay. I have Doc with Anderson and Gallagher. So who's playing I, left? Wingers are wingers. They can play wherever. No, 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 no. Wingers are and, not wingers. I, I absolutely Anderson detest the that notion that anyone can play anywhere. It is Anderson a, on the left, Gallagher false, on the right. Yeah, no, no, like Gallagher has okay. never played anywhere else except on the right. And Anderson, 82 I'm games sorry, but he was season. terrible on the left side. He's so yeah. lost. Somehow we have 16 NHL forwards and we don't have enough left wingers. So it's going to be what it's going to be. We got four of them. Then, we, got, we got Drouet, we got Hoffman, we got Dadinoff, and we got Pizzetta. There, there's four. Okay, Pizzetta, Pizzetta's a stretch. I love Michael Pizzetta. I, love I think Pizzetta. he's awesome. I put him on the fourth line with Jake Evans. I think he's going to be awesome. I, I have him as an extra forward. I have Monahan at center with Evans on the wing and Byron Armia shifting on that fourth line right wing. I know, I know, I know, I know Josh is itching to say something because he was, he's the biggest Jake Evans fan I have ever met to a point where he wanted to make customized t shirts. Um, <laughs> as Evan, is, is Evans. A, a shoe in on the fourth line, or do you think he's going to alternate between center and wing and kind of just being like maybe play 50 games during the season? I don't see why you wouldn't just play him center all season, fourth line center locked down. He's got it, he's got it locked. That's my yeah, lock. the problem. The problem with that lock though is that now you got Monahan nowhere, like, nowhere on the lineup and you got to fit into um, Dvorak. So, I mean, like, where it's like, wait, wait, are we shifting Monahan to the wing? Oh, that doesn't matter. Jake, whatever happens, Jake Evans center fourth line. That's my. <laughs> all those other guys could just whatever. That is Jake my Evans, lock of the year. <laughs> Jake Evans can take faceoffs on that second penalty kill. Yeah, but, totally. Okay, we have now two centermen in the system, in Monahan and Doc, that are absolutely ineffective on the wing. Okay, before before we get get into the system, let's go back to the to, to the initial issue. of you're putting Jonathan Drouet in the first line. Yes, but... I am. I'm putting Jonathan Drouet in the first line. Ça pas de bon sens, ton affaire, Moi, je pense que c'est de bon sens. We are having that first line getting absolutely demolished defensively. Just put another offensive player there. And Jonathan Drouet doesn't do anything defensively, but he has an offensive mind. He can skate. He can pass. He used to be able to score. So, I don't... Like, are okay. you going to put Mike Hoffman with them? Are you going to put Josh Anderson with them? Okay. Scott, help me out here because not trying to shut you up, Aaron, but I'm trying to shut you up, Aaron. Okay. Uh, Jonathan Drouin is recovering from what two wrist surgeries? It's a lot of mental surgeries. A lot of a lot of mental surgeries as well. He just became a dad, by the way. Which you oh, know, good for him. Which you know, good for him. And I'm hoping you know that really like you know boosts him up. The one, the one positive thing I could say about about Duane is the fact that he spent all summer in the public eye, really helping out with kids and charities and everything, which he's already been known for. Um, but Scott, where do you pencil Duane? Because I don't see him on the first line because he is such a defensive liability to begin with. And when he when he when he goes into the corner, he turns like 16 different shades of yellow. So, like, where do you, where does he, where does he fit in? Like, do you put in with Doc, for example, or like, what's, like, like, what, what, what do you think? Jonathan Drew is just such a big question mark for the Canadians lineup in general in so many different ways. And it's just, I wrote a, a little thread a couple of days ago after uh, Drew announced he had changed his jersey number. Yet another change he's been trying to make to try and. <laughs> 
uh, change the mental aspect of his game. And you think about Mikhail Sergeyev, and you think about the fact that the Habs have lost that trade, no matter what anyone says about how this year will go. The Habs have lost that trade. That's just my own personal opinion. No, no, it's and a fact. Going into the season, I honestly don't know where I start during. I think it depends on how he plays to start the year and how much energy and confidence he plays with. Because the thing I still, the point I still make about Drain is that when he wants to, he can do whatever he wants with the puck. It's just when he wants to, and it seems like he almost never wants to. And the question uh, yeah. a lot of people are going to be applying as well with Drain is, well, maybe you should like the mental, the mental aspects that Drain struggled with is something that people are still bringing in two years later. And I understand that I've struggled with this a lot myself throughout the past year. I sympathize with Drain and I understand his struggles, but he's still a five point five million dollar player going into a contract year, and he has the potential to be a very talented player. That stuff is important, but we need to focus on Jonathan Drain as a hockey player for at least a little bit, and he needs to start proving that he can be that hockey player that the Lightning drafted third overall. <laughs> All right, guys, sixty second rapid fire, Josh. Uh, playoffs, yay or nay this year? Nay, come on. Ah, uh, come on. We go. We, we have to ask the question, Aaron. Yay or nay? Uh, I mean, it's such a weak Atlantic division. I don't. I, I don't know. I think we're just gonna squeak in. Nay. Oh my! That's a hot. No, no, no. That was almost a hot take, Scott. Nay, as well. I'm guessing we're gonna fight around the 10th, 11th place in the conference, but we're not gonna be a playoff team. Yeah, I don't think we're. I don't think we're gonna make the playoffs, but I don't think we're gonna be a lottery pick either. It's gonna be one of those weird, weird years and whatnot. So I very desperately want to be a lottery pick. Uh, yeah, well, we all want Connor Bedard. But anyways, that remains to be seen. That's going to be a debate for uh, the near future. Uh, we're going to keep it uh, at that for this episode. I think it was a good first introductory episode just to kind of let everyone ease in and get us get, get to know us a little bit. And uh, next time, hopefully, Sebastian High will be here to join uh, this uh, amazing guy. So uh, on behalf of Aaron Itovich, Joshua Rosa, and Scott Cowan, my name is Patrick Lorty. Thank you for listening to episode one of Puck and Roll. $50,000 cash prize playing Chumbo Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumbo Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.